Abandon all remote controls, ye who enter here. It's time to unlock the gates to Telehell. Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners helped define the golden years of television and set the standards that a lot of modern-day sitcoms are currently struggling to live up to. Between his various variety shows and the so-called classic 39 episodes, Gleason made his mark on the public with his lovable curmudgeonly bus driver and his loyal supporting cast. When Gleason decided to call it a day after just one season of the show, he had his sights set on bigger things. And for a little while, that was the plan. But in January of 1961, Gleason and CBS decided to team up once again. Only instead of another sitcom or variety program, the powers that be thought The Great One would be a good fit as MC of a new kind of panelist game show. The network, already buoyed by the success of similar shows like What's My Line and To Tell the Truth, thought they had the next logical step in their hands. Unfortunately for CBS, Gleason, and all others involved... You're in the picture was less the next logical step and instead turned out to be a trip and a stumble ass backwards into telehell. How sweet it is. In late 1960, the TV networks were looking for shows to put on for their mid-season schedules. By all accounts and purposes, CBS, whose programming from the 50s to the 70s was virtually untouchable in the ratings, didn't really need to put anything new on in January. But even back then, TV executives realized that they needed to keep things fresh in order for the viewers to keep coming back for more. Among these mid-season replacements was what was thought to be a simple idea created by TV producers Bob Sines and Don Lip. Four celebrities stick their heads through a tableau. The tableau contained a quirky illustration of a famous historical or well-known scene, and it is then up to the celebrity panel via clues from the show's host to guess what the picture is. It was one of those ideas that sounded good on paper, but just as an insurance measure, CBS felt it was necessary to get a big name to be the host of the show just in case. Enter Gleason. A lot of people have been uh, claiming that when they get here late, they can't get a seat down front. So starting next week, we're all having all of the front seats put in the back and all the back seats put in the front. So if you get here late, you'll get a front seat even though you sit in the back. Jackie Gleason's recent effort for CBS after The Honeymooners was a short-lived variety program that was reminiscent of his previous cavalcade of stars for the defunct Dumont Television Network. Despite containing Gleason's stable of characters, the show lasted only two years, 1957 to 59. Of course, back then, 39 new episodes made a TV season. Afterwards, Gleason decided to step away from television for a little while and focus a little more on his budding movie career and his musical side projects. Unfortunately, we're not here to talk about somebody's accomplishments. In December of 1960, CBS convinced Gleason to return to television and host what they thought was the next big game show phenomenon. And for the most part, Gleason flipped not just for the concept, but for the notion of hobnobbing with four new celebrities each week. With Gleason's vote of confidence and a sponsorship bankroll from Kellogg's Cereals, the show is greenlit for a January premiere. With approximately a month and a half before the premiere, production was underway. Minor details like putting the set and the game boards together was actually the least of the show's problems. 
Before the show aired, it seemed as though the biggest problem it has was trying to figure out who would be willing to participate. After all, if What's My Line made stars out of the likes of Arlene Francis and Bennett Cerf, the bar for picture could stand to be a little higher aside from its already big-named host. For the first episode, Gleason wanted to gun for the biggest stars of the day, including the likes of Raymond Massey, Jonathan Winters, and Lauren Bacall. But remember this showbiz golden rule. You either start in TV and work your way into the movies, or you start out as a movie star and then take it easy for the rest of the career while working in television. Suffice to say, they were never going to get Lauren Bacall in a million years. So instead, they were able to get a veritable who's who of who? Character actress Jan Sterling, best known for her Oscar-nominated role in The High and the Mighty. Arthur Treacher, who had been acting in a number of small roles since the 1930s, most notably in Shirley Temple movies. Pat Carroll, a durable character actress and comedian who was about to land a recurring role on Danny Thomas's Make Room for Daddy. And Pat Harrington Jr., an up-and-coming young performer who just wrapped up a recurring role on the same program. It was a far cry from Bacall, but what's done is done. The cast is set, the set is built, the show is taped, and the premiere is ready to go. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. January 20th, 1961. John F. Kennedy is sworn in as our nation's 35th president. Perry Como is on the cover of TV Guide. Kellogg's presents... And at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the voice of legendary game show announcer Johnny Olson let us know what we were about to get into. Jackie Gleason. You're in the picture. And now, here's the head of our gallery, Jackie Gleason. The show begins without a hitch. Gleason introduces the panel, not unlike how John Daly and Gary Moore would do on their respective Mark Goodson shows. You already heard the rules of the game, but that was in its basic form. The final product of the rules would be explained by Gleason. We roll out some pictures. The panelists put their heads into holes that have been cut into the pictures. They try to guess what the content of the picture is or what they portray in the picture. Now, if they should guess a picture, we send 100 care packages in their name. If they should miss a picture, we send 100 care packages in my name. (laughs) So with this game, everybody wins, nobody loses. And right off the top, we have the show's biggest flaws explained to an audience of millions watching. First and foremost, there are no civilian contestants involved. Sure, the idea of seeing famous people playing a game together might have been enough of a reason to tune in, but usually, celebrities play with civilians so that they can help them win the prizes. Even more so, there have been all celebrity game shows where stars play the game and win prizes for contestants watching at home by random drawing. Picture didn't see it that way, and it may have cost them in viewer interest. Though not as much as the gameplay itself, but we'll get to that in a moment. Second, as noble as it was for the so-called prize of the show to be several hundred care packages being donated in the star's name, depending on who got the puzzle right or wrong, it still sort of reeked of being a cheap, albeit tax-deductible, budget saver. Again, why not have the stars play for some pre-selected audience member or even home viewers? And for that matter, why not have higher stakes in store? This is airing on network television in prime time, 
Even What's My Line could afford to give upwards of $50 to its participants. The third flaw was the gameplay in practice, though we wouldn't realize it right away at first. Puzzle number one depicted John Smith on the chopping block moments before Pocahontas came to his rescue. The stars would then spend about 30 seconds at a time asking Gleason questions about the picture they were in. Am I uh, an individual uh, character in history? Well, you couldn't be a crowd. That's a sense. Uh, well, I am an individual. Uh, is my period of history within the past 300 years? I'm sorry, your time is up. This went on for a few minutes until... You know what? Pocahontas. You're absolutely right. Jan Sterling got the picture correct. 100 care packages would be delivered in her name. So far, so good. But then we get to the second picture of the game. And here's where we begin to go off the rails. The depiction of the song Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini turned out to be less than desirable. But don't forget, this is a song title, an American song. American song. Oh, oh American you know bird. this song like a bird. I know you do. Uh, I don't know. I, I like Oh, like a bird. Oh, please. Not something for the boy. Oh, no. Now, don't take bird for a cu- clue. That wasn't a clue. I just said that. Something That's for the boy? matter of speech. No. <laughs> uh. With 100 care packages now being sent in Gleason's name, they take a quick commercial break for Kellogg's, the show's main sponsor that week, arguably one of the biggest highlights of the episode. A Kellogg's Good Morning Getting back to the game, by now the audience seems to realize what the rhythm of the gameplay is. Unfortunately, this is a rhythm that would repeat again and again for the remainder of the show, with absolutely no adjustment in gameplay. To put it in perspective, What's My Line would break from its gameplay format at the end of the show to welcome a celebrity mystery guest in an effort to keep viewers tuned in. All Picture had was celebrities sticking their heads through a hole, guessing what picture they were in, lather, rinse, repeat. It would be easy for an audience to get bored by the lack of variety. Getting back to the show, the third picture depicts statues being dusted at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which brings us to an unwritten rule of the game, the fact that the exact title of the picture had to be called out by one of the stars. No close enoughs were allowed. This is particularly infuriating to watch because the panel comes about 90% close to getting the full title before the band plays them off. Oh, you're so... David! Oh, Aphrodite! No, no, no. I'm sorry. But I I must give you credit. You had had three quarters of the picture. Arthur is Atlas holding the world. And the uh, title of the picture was the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Now, there was a distinct possibility of fun being had, but only among the panel and Gleason. If you listen carefully, though, with the exception of the studio audience breaking down for Gleason's outburst... How did I get mixed up? The audience remained largely unresponsive for most of the segment. Boredom had set in about halfway through the show, and there was still another act to get through. Following an in-show ad for some cigarette company, and note to self, induct cigarette commercials here at some point... We continue with the gameplay, or lack thereof. The next puzzle depicted a supposed kickline dance troupe known as the Burlesque Beef Trust Girls. By this point in the game, the novelty of having the panelists' heads sticking through images of things that were unconventional to others wore thin, as did the audience's patience once the game got going again. Am I, uh, do I work in this country? Oh, yes. I'm not the Abbey player. No, you're not the Abbey player. Uh, you're more like the baby player. 
It's also in this segment where we get a near-fatal communications breakdown between the panel and Gleason, arguably the other big highlight from the episode. The Peter sisters? No. The what sisters? The brother sisters. The brother sisters. All was going chaotically until Arthur Treacher gave us the show's second and final correct answer. Watson's beat thrust. Wait a minute, you're absolutely right. Billy Watson's beat thrust is the big With just six minutes to go in the show, we cut to the final puzzle of the night, a depiction of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Now, surely the panel should be able to figure out one of the most basic scenes in children's literature, right? Yeah, well, there's one Oh, Jackie, does it yes. have anything to do with the door? And a hop and a cough and I blow your house down would it be the three pigs and the wolf. And, and pigs can be seen... Oh, oh, shut your mouth. That isn't it at all. No, it's not... With that round over, one more commercial from Kellogg's... And the show screeches to a merciful halt, much to the relief of the studio audience, and collaterally to Rod Serling, whose Twilight Zone immediately followed the show. Cast off the ties of the prosaic world. Give your imagination free reign. Ahead lies the Twilight Zone, next on most of these stations. You're in the Picture was a dull show with a dull premise, carefully disguised within the body of a great showman. Just how bad was the show's impact on the viewing public? Among the more savage reviews, Time Magazine declared the program as the single worst program in the then 13-year history of American television. Decades later, TV Guide would list the show among its list of the top 50 worst TV shows of all time. As for CBS, they wanted to keep going with the show regardless of what everybody else thought, even going so far as to have a second episode of the game format already being put to videotape for future broadcast use, which in the early 1960s was as much primitive as it was expensive to do, an episode which to this day has never been seen by the public. Gleason, on the other hand, seeing the writing on the wall, chose to take a decidedly more vocal route. Jackie Gleason in what will probably prove to be a very unusual program. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jackie Gleason. Gleason enters a stage that's a stark contrast from the previous week. It's barren except for various stage equipment and a chair flanked by two end tables. After a bit of prelude, Gleason lays the cards on the table. Last week, we did a show called You're in the Picture. That laid, <laughs> without a doubt, the biggest bomb. For the next 30 minutes, Gleason laments on just how poorly received the previous week was. To his credit, Gleason does at least acknowledge that the crew he was working with were well-experienced and that they're practically feeling the same kinds of pains. Gleason then goes on to explain how fickle the business of show can be sometimes, from the dubious success of the Ernest Bordenai movie Marty to the story of a failed Broadway show called Keep Off the Grass. Gleason then goes on to explain to the viewers just how easy it was to fall for the idea for the show. Now, for instance, when they came to me with this idea, you're in the picture, 
This guy came in and he demonstrated this game. And I want to tell you, we fell down. You know, it was a, a board, as you saw last week, and everybody stuck their head in and they had to guess what the thing was. Well, we were hilarious. It just caught on. Gleason then proceeds to remind the viewers of what they missed the previous week by rolling out the Pocahontas puzzle once again. But this is it. Now, if you looked at that, wouldn't you say that was funny? <laughs> <laughs> Gleason then goes on to call out the critics who panned the show, though perhaps called out might not be the best choice of words since this was one of the rare times in show business where an actor actually agrees with the negativity. It's here where we get what is probably the best part of the entire program, the part where Gleason tries to figure out who gets the overall blame for the show. Before I read you the reviews, I'd like to tell you another thing an actor does. He tries to find out who's the blame for this. So I'm sitting there grumbling to myself after the thing, uh, who's the blame for this? I finally found out the guy to blame for this whole thing. Just before the show goes on, there's a guy that says, you're on the air. <laughs> that is the dirty fuck! After a brief interlude for cigarettes, Gleason further laments on things by trying to find the positives in the program of which there were predictably few, yet not few enough. So I walked up to one of the stagehands and I said, uh, well, Charlie, how'd you like the show? <laughs> he said, boy, you look thin on a monitor. <laughs> this is it, folks, when they say that. We got one more commercial for Kellogg's after that. And afterwards, we get to the closing piece of the program. Gleason's recollection of his first movie role, long before the Honeymooners or even the Cavalcade of Stars even existed. It's a lengthy story, so we'll try our best to condense it for you. I was working at a joint called the 18 Club on 52nd Street. I went on for the first show at the 18 Club, and Jack Warner was in the audience of Warner Brothers Studios. Warner had gone up to Freddie Lamb, who was the guy that was running the 18 Club, and he said, this kid here is a riot. We gotta have him. We're starting a picture in two weeks. And he's got to be out there. Anyway, I made the picture. It was called Navy Blues. But I had the kind of a part, like if there were a big group of sailors and they said, let's get on a boat, I'd say, yeah, let's get on a boat. And we all run on. Then if they said, let's get off the boat, I'd say, yeah, let's get off the boat. We'd all run off. <laughs> well, we did this picture, and I couldn't wait till it came out. And it came out and played at the Warner Brothers Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, and I went to see it. And I came out. And I was pretty dejected. And I called up Jack Haley, who was a good friend of mine then and still is. And I said, Jack, I just saw the picture. He says, well, how were you in it? I said, I looked like somebody watching the picture being made. <laughs> the apology wrapped up. Gleason managed to save face. And the case of what was once one of the worst moments in television history was considered closed. This isn't uh, a requiem for a heavyweight. <laughs> I'm coming back next week. I don't know what we're going to do. But take my word for it. Tune in on the next chapter, because this might be the greatest soapless opera you've ever seen. So where does you're in the picture fit in with our nine circles of telehell? Well, before we actually get to our judgment, and because this is our first episode, we should probably explain what exactly the Nine Circles are, as well as their relevancy in terms of our job. The Circles of Telehell are based loosely on the Circles of Regular Hell, as noted by Dante in The Divine Comedy. In descending order, the Nine Circles are Limbo, Lust, 
gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, which contains two subcircles, and treachery, with an additional treachery against God acting as hell's epicenter. For our purposes, Telehell is a little more streamlined and a lot less nefarious. The first circle, Limbo, could represent a failed TV pilot that never made it to series for whatever reason, or a show that aired one episode before the network ultimately cancels it. Circle 2, Lust, could represent gratuitous sexual activity on a TV show being used simply for a cheap ratings grab. Circle 3, Gluttony, could be someone or something on television being overexposed to the point where the audience just can't take it anymore. Circle 4, Greed, could involve someone or something bringing activity to a halt just because they want more money for their work. Circle 5, Wrath, can be the time-honored tradition of an incoming network executive wiping out a show, or in some cases, an entire program lineup, just because he or she didn't care for their predecessor's visions or decisions. Circle 6, Heresy, can be as simple as a big-time star bad-mouthing a sponsor. Circle 7, Violence, see lust, but replace sex with a hail of bullets. Circle 8, Fraud, has two subcircles. In our case, one subcircle could be an overhyped TV event that ultimately leads to nothing and pisses off the audience at the same time, while the other subcircle could be something far more deceiving, like a rigged game show. Circle 9, Treachery, could be some trouble behind the scenes of a show ultimately leading to its demise. And at the very center of it all, treachery against God could be something so foul, so wretched, so unappealing that just the mere mention of the entity would act as enough of a cautionary tale that potential future offenders dare not to make the same mistake. We hope never to cross into that territory, if we can help it. As far as you're in the picture goes, the question of whether it belongs in the limbo circle is going to be debatable. After all, an episode did broadcast over the air for millions to see, but only that one under the game show format. The second apology episode aired while still technically under the original title, before reverting to a different show and format altogether. That being said, it was the game show aspect that earned all of the criticism, with the apology acting as its silver lining. So for our purposes, Picture the Game gets a spot in limbo, but Picture the Apology gets spared from there. The Apology, however, does not get off the hook easily. Somewhere in the middle of the Apology, Gleason makes this joking comment about the coffee he's drinking during the show. This is a new coffee called Chock Full of Booze. <laughs> that may have been funny to those who saw it on TV and in the studio. But one group of viewers who weren't laughing were the people at Kellogg's Cereals, who happened to be the sponsor of both the game and the apology. The booze comment promptly caused Kellogg's to withdraw their sponsorship from the remaining episodes of the order. Based on that infraction, the apology episode earns you're in the picture a trip to our sixth circle, heresy. Granted, the comment wasn't towards Kellogg's outright, but Kellogg's is, was, and has remained a family brand since its inception. And despite the fact that corn can be turned into liquor in some cases, it doesn't exactly bode well for breakfast or primetime programming. Unless, of course, you were a hardcore alcoholic. The aftermath of the game getting jettisoned is also slightly debatable. Gleason, having already trashed the game show format in front of millions, clearly wanted to do something else. And since The Great One already had an ample amount of creative control over the show, whatever it was going to be... CBS had no choice but to cave in to Gleason's wishes. 
the show went from You're in the Picture to a different kind of Jackie Gleason show for the remainder of the eight-episode run, a low-key talk show where Gleason spoke mostly with close friends for a half hour. Despite the generally positive viewer and critical success of the show during those remaining weeks, CBS pulled the plug on the Enterprise once and for all when the eight-week run ended, thus earning the show and the network a position in the wrath circle, at least for the time being. CBS and Gleason eventually got along again, and they both realized that the tried and true worked best for everybody. And so, in 1962, CBS resurrected Gleason's old variety show format, complete with all new honeymooner sketches, and it was a staple of prime time for the rest of the 1960s. How sweet it was. You're in the Picture earns three out of nine circles of telehealth. It wasn't a terrible idea, and it should have worked by all accounts and purposes, but there's a big difference between things that work on paper and things that work in practice. Maybe if they sat on the idea for a couple of decades, give it time for technology to advance a little, maybe add civilian contestants or a way for the home audience to play along, and there could have been some potential there. And believe it or not, it did sort of improve in the passing decades on a completely different show. Now, let's go on to a game called News Flash. This is for Jeff, Ryan, and Colin. Uh, Jeff and Ryan are going to be uh, two news anchors in the studio. Colin's going to be in the field as a news reporter covering a breaking story. Uh, Colin's going to be in standing in front of what we call a green screen. And through the miracle of television, we're going to show you on your monitors. Now, we're not saying that the people behind Whose Line Is It Anyway should be thanking Gleason for the inspiration behind their News Flash game. But it seems like more than a coincidence that a similar game with a similar concept wound up happening on a much better show thanks to advances in technology decades later. And perhaps this might be the most telling aspect of this incident, that perhaps the game would have worked better in small doses instead of a full 30 minutes. I can barely hear you over the tremendous happening behind me. Yes. Colin, can you explain to us what's going on there? How did this all start? It all started with a tribute to Norway. And then this all happened. Egos and careers were bruised from the Enterprise, but there were some silver linings. Panelist Jan Sterling would enjoy a steady career in character roles until her retirement in the late 1980s. She would pass away in 2004. Arthur Treacher would enjoy a few more years of acting, including a minor role in Mary Poppins, before ultimately retiring in the late 60s, and would later lend his name to the Arthur Treacher Fish and Chips franchise. Treacher would pass away in 1975. Pat Harrington Jr.'s star continued to rise after picture, not just appearing in various TV and movie roles, but ultimately hitting his apex as handyman Dwayne Schneider on the original One Day at a Time, from 1975 to 1984. Harrington would remain active in the business until his passing in 2016. Even show co-creator Bob Sines would soldier on as a producer and sometimes creator of various cult classic game shows, including The Magnificent Marble Machine in the 70s, Dreamhouse in the early 1980s, and Funhouse in the late 80s. Unfortunately, Sines would pass away in 1990. His partner, Don Lipp, had a similar career trajectory, though his further accomplishments are largely unknown aside from two other cult classic game shows from the 70s. The Money Maze, and The Big Showdown. After ultimately retiring from show business, Lip passed away in 2009. Pat Carroll has had a career spanning almost 70 years. In addition to her laundry list of parts, perhaps her best-known role is that of Ursula the Sea Witch in The Little Mermaid. As of this recording, Carroll is the sole surviving panelist from Picture, 
still working and still voicing various roles for Disney. As for Gleason, he would continue to work both in TV and in the movies over the next few decades. Most notably, his Oscar-nominated performance in 1961's The Hustler with Paul Newman, and later on, his role as Sheriff Buford T. Justice in the Smokey and the Bandit movies, plus a renewed interest in The Honeymooners when he released long-lost sketches from his variety shows and marketed them as The Lost Episodes circa 1985. Gleason passed away in 1987 and left behind a comedy legacy that far too many are trying to uphold to this day. But perhaps the biggest testament to that legacy, aside from Ralph Cramden, was his uncanny ability to turn lemons into lemonade. You're in the Picture and its apology show was proof of that, as well as proof of why, before Wayne Gretzky, he was considered the Great One. Next time on Telehell, every other week we will put on a mini-sode that hopes to pick apart the in-between things about television that sometimes get under our skin, whether it be an infamous TV blooper, or technical difficulties, or even a certain commercial that always bugged us. In the case of our next subject, a man who has never eaten a particular burger in his life. Stay tuned and start asking yourself this crucial question. Aren't you hungry for Burger King herbs? Until next time, if it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. And very special thanks to David Downs for providing us with the episodes of You're in the Picture. Without him, this program would not have been possible. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Oh, one more thing. Just because we watch a lot of TV doesn't mean that we don't want to socialize. Look for us on Facebook and Twitter, both at Telehell Podcast. And of course, you can also go to our own page, telehell.libsyn.com. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Libsyn. Just search for Telehell.